Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I have a fun announcement for us. We have an official presenting sponsor for 2019 for the podcast. This is huge news uh, for me and for the show and also for Mercury Mile. So Mercury Mile has been sponsoring the show for a long time. And actually, this is a new business. I think people lose sight of this fact. I did. Um, this business is about as old as the podcast. And it's really taken off over the past year, as it should. It's done amazing things. And they send out great products. And we talk about it all the time. And they're going to sponsor every episode of the show for all of 2019. You'll also see their logo on all of the graphics that I put out. And I just am so excited to partner with them because they do great stuff. They make... Just the whole running experience easier. Um, I hate shopping, and that's why I love Mercury Mile, because they send out packages whenever I order them, just like you can at mercurymile.com. Use Rambling Runner 10 at checkout, and you get to keep what you love. You send back what you don't, and it's not even a subscription service. You're not going to get hit with any boxes you don't want. Basically, it's a no-lose situation. And even more than that, there's just so much good stuff. I wore pants today that I got from them. Shoot. Last year, this time, a long time ago, and the Saucony um, tight pants, uh, and the front of them is like a wind guard, and the back of these long tights is a little bit thinner, and they fit perfectly. They're, they're exactly what you're looking for for a windy day, and I had a windy run today, and they were perfect. And I didn't even know these pants existed if it wasn't for Mercury Mile. So thank you, Mercury Mile, for sponsoring the show for all of 2019. If you haven't checked them out, please do so. You will not regret it. I also want to give a shout out to Run for PRs for sponsoring this episode. Run for PRs coaching helps runners of all abilities discover their inner strength and potential. They understand how difficult it can be to juggle training, family, career, and other pursuits and are excited to help support you in your athletic journey while pushing you to new heights. Run for PRs coaches work with athletes of all abilities and from all over the world through their online coaching platform. That helps them schedule your runs, review them, communicate feedback, and hold you accountable. That's the biggest one for me. I know that. So all their coaches are Boston qualifiers with years of coaching experience. And you can learn more at runforprs.co. That's runforprs.co or on Instagram at runforprs. So today's episode is actually with a runforprs athlete, oddly enough, is Lindsay Richards. Lindsay has the kind of story that makes you sit up and say, wait a second, what exactly am I complaining about? Because she has overcome so much and um, it's just, a, you know, it's, it really is a remarkable story. She was a little hesitant to tell it. I, I give her props for doing it. I really wanted her to be on this show and she, she eventually said yes and I really was excited to have her on. This was a woman who had a stroke that went undiagnosed and then she started to get, you know, seizures and was diagnosed with epilepsy and and then just the craziness started from there and I'm not going to give up the whole episode in the intro but you're going to want to listen to it. This is a woman who was told that she shouldn't run anymore. And not only did she run again, she went out and had an unbelievable 2018. And I am so excited for you to hear this episode with Lindsay Richards. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm actually, I'm calling into the future. 
because it's Sunday where I am. You're in Singapore. It's Monday where you are. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. And first things first, congratulations on uh, on your recent, uh, I shouldn't say recent, you just did it yesterday, your, um, your Singapore Marathon. Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. And I'll tell you, you have had a crazy 2018, Lindsay. This is this is like one for the record book. It has been. It has been a ride. That's for sure. All right, so let's let's take it back. I I definitely want to talk about the roller coaster ride that is 2018. Um, but before we do, I always love to get a little little background on just someone's running background. So what what would you describe? you know, your running background, you know, high school, college, and then up to now? Um, It was non-existent, to be honest. I cheered through high school and through college, and um, my mom was my inspiration through all of it. Um, I hated running, absolutely could not stand it. (laughs) And um, she got me involved with it back in 2010, and I played with it a little bit. And once I moved overseas, is when I started to get involved in running. Um, it was an outlet for me. So, Okay, so where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, southeast Georgia in Savannah, um, and uh, that was my hometown. So uh, a little town called uh, Guyton. Um, okay, and where did, you, where did you cheer in college? Um, Armstrong, Atlantic University. Oh, okay, so where's yes. that? So, so where, where, where is that one? <laughs> it's, it's just outside of Savannah or inside of Savannah. Yes. It's, it's oh, okay. Yes. All right. So what, so when you got introduced to 2010 and then you, as you said, you, you really started using it as an outlet when you moved overseas, what prompted you to, to, uh, to move abroad? Uh, my husband. So he's in aviation. So we moved over here and we traveled through his work and I, I just needed an outlet just to get involved um, after having my son. So we, we moved when he was eight months old, and I needed something to keep my mind busy. So were you tr- normally running solo, or did you find running groups? To no, be a part I was of? doing it strictly on my own. Now, what was that like moving to a whole new country, nowhere near, literally on the other side of the world from where you were living and then going out there running alone? What was that experience like? <laughs> Honestly, horrible. <laughs> um, I shouldn't say horrible. I, it was it was traumatic, but yet it wasn't. Singapore is such um, a comfort place and a welcoming place for baby steps when it comes to moving in Asia abroad. So it was traumatic in the sense that I had never been abroad before, but after being here, um, we've been here five years now. So, um, after being here, it's, it's been great. But when we first moved here, it was very traumatic for me because I had never been anywhere else. Um, but what was the biggest adjustment food? (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm so used to Western food and that getting used to the food and just the culture itself. So did you just dive into the deep end with uh, trying to assimilate from a food perspective right oh, no. away? I'm still not used to the food. Not at all. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, in what um, way? In every way, to be honest. I still stick to my Western food. Um, now, my husband, he he loves the the culture food, cultural food, and um, I love going with him, and I love um, smelling it and getting and used to it. And I, I have, we have a lot of local friends here, and uh, they laugh at me all the time, but I still cannot get over the steps <laughs> of some of the um, Asian food, the Thai food, and um, it, it, I can't get past the smell. <laughs> It's so strong. So, so what down home dishes did you take with you from Georgia? Oh, you know, out to uh, the Far East. You know, I, I can't take a lot of it because you can't get a lot of the ingredients here. Um, just I, I love like I, I still stick with like my fried chicken and you know your homegrown your mashed potatoes and your um, cream corn. I I love the staple foods that. I, when I go home, I, I always ask my mom and dad to cook. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll ever escape that. And Mexican food. I'm, I love Mexican food that I think there's something about in the South that you get that you really cannot get over here. Yeah, I can, yeah nothing's better than really well-cooked fried chicken. Where you are, This is going to be a total detour for those of you who are expecting running. I will be back to running <laughs> in a second. So th- when you have fried chicken, are you a thick, crispy fry person or are you like the light fry on the chicken? No, the light, I want the deep chicken? fried chicken and I want white meat. So over here, you don't get white meat. It's all dark meat and I cannot handle dark meat. So that was probably the, the hardest thing. Oh, wow. Yes, I, I don't like dark meat because, you know, it's got that slimy texture. Um, so that that's a big thing for me, too. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny how people have like such differing opinions on this. I, I remember, you know, there's pe- other people in my life who are very like, ant- like 100% the other way, like dark meat for life. Cause it's like, cause they always view it as so much more moist than well, the white. Well, and it is. Um, <laughs> but there's a downside <laughs> for sure. All right. So. Let's get into 2018 because this is crazy. All right. So first of all, congratulations. Your son was born, McCaden, um, which is, first of all, McCaden, I had not heard that name before. What was the genesis of the name? Oh, um, <laughs> way to throw me on that one. Um, honestly, we had no idea what McCaden was going to be. We thought he was going to be a girl. Um, and we had no boy name picked out for this poor child. And we just were very adamant that he was going to be a girl. And then when he came out, we were thrown. Um, and the child did not have a name until probably three hours after he was born. And <laughs> McCaden, it was. Um, our other two children have very different names. And we just kind of started going through different names off of our, uh, my husband's um, part Canadian. And we just went through his genealogy and just started going through different, um, the Irish background and the Scottish background. (laughs) And and we just came up with McCaden. I love Caden. And that was too generic for us. So we went with Mac in front of it. So McCaden. There you go. I love it. Yeah. So, so did you, what was the girl's name going to be? I'm sorry. What was the girl's name going to be that you had picked out? Finley Joy. Finley. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah. That's that, that is cute. Yeah. When my son was born, the girl, we didn't know the gender either. Um, The girl's name was going to be Mackenzie. And when I saw McKay then I was like, Oh, 
Yeah, so my son was Grayson. So, like, Mackenzie and Grayson combined, it looks like McCaden. So, at first, I was like, oh, that's, like, pretty funny how, like, similar it is. Anyway, it's a random story. But what I wanted to talk about, so I'm so, you know, McCaden was born, healthy baby boy, everything was going well. And then a few, what, few days, weeks later, all of a sudden, you were back Yes, in sir. Uh, six days later. Okay, so would you mind diving into that story for us? Sure. I was sitting at home. My mom had flown in, and I was actually sitting in our rocking chair holding McCaden, and I just started feeling extremely weak, and um, I got very white, and I was good old Garmin. I was wearing it, and I was watching my heart rate just plummet, and and forgive me, my voice is starting to shake just because it just, it just becomes very real anytime I talk about this. Um, I just got extremely shaky and my heart rate just started going extremely high and very low. And I remember it just dropping down to into the twenties and back to the thirties and back down to twenties. And, um, I went and laid down upstairs and started shaking and my mom called my husband and he came flying home and we rushed to the hospital and, they got me into the ER and um, they called the, the head of cardiology down and um, the head of neurology down and they started talking to me and asking me through what was going on and what I was feeling and thankfully I was able to tell them that I was starting to see like the the spots in your eyes, the auroras and, and in the midst of it, I ended up having an epileptic seizure, which I had never had one before, which was a crazy experience to have. And so in that moment I was, um, wheeled off to have some MRIs done. And in those MRIs, they were able to see that I also had had a stroke. Um, and I'm at the time I was 31 years old and, you know, I had had three babies and like you just said, I had had McCaden six days prior. So it was very odd to them as what was going on. Um, and, but through this MRI, they were able to see that I had had blood Um, clots on my brain also that were clouding some issues Um, and they weren't sure if the blood clots had caused the stroke or if the epilepsy was causing the stroke but being since that I had no prior epilepsy they were a little concerned of what exactly was leading up to what was going on so the last I guess eight months or so it's been a lot of testing and a lot of what was going on um in craziness they weren't sure if my epidural had caused things or if it was just a hormonal change because that we were we've been told that can happen also um but through some tests they were able to lead to find out that I had had a stroke prior four years ago also so it was a second stroke and then the epilepsy is very evident in my case that um, I I have epileptic seizures just about once every month now. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So when you look back to four years ago, is there a certain time where you can pinpoint where you think you had that? There actually is. Um, I I know exactly when it happened. Um, I just wasn't sure that that was, I mean, when, when it happened, I wasn't aware that that was a stroke. But knowing when they told me, okay, this happened four years ago, yes, I do know. Um, my body went very numb, and I had had a migraine. So my mine happened all around migraines. 
So I have migraine, migra epilepsy is what I have. Um, so anytime I have migraines, I usually get an epileptic seizure around it. So knowing what could occur, you know, at, at some, some point with, you know, your, your childcare and, you know, taking care of your family, what were you told that you were able to do after you left the hospital? I was told that I was not allowed to be alone with the children, um, that I was to give up running um, races altogether, and that if I was to run, um, that someone was to know my routes at all time, um, or they were to run with me, and that my husband was to either give up his job or that family was to move in with us full time, which my husband's aviation, that that's not possible and then obviously we live around the world so that's that's also not possible um so it became a a mind over matter for me I had to figure it out and through a lot of prayer we just started to tackle it day by day and um I'm quite stubborn and quite determined um so we just took it one day at a time and started tackling it and trying to figure out medication and um I started talking to my five-year-old and started walking him through processes. Anytime he saw mommy um, start to tremble or if I told him, okay, mommy needs to go lay down. This is what you need to do. Or um, I have a, a, a one I guess it's like an emergency app thing on my phone. I can hit it immediately and call my husband or, um, but basically we just took it. We, we took it one day at a time and, uh, you know, like helpers are a really big deal over here. And our, our neurologist, um, was very adamant that we were to get one and that just is not for us. And so we, um, trying to get my train of thoughts. Um, Basically, I'm stubborn, and and I just I, I wanted to make sure that I could do this myself because if we moved anywhere else in the world, we would have to do it ourselves. So we we made sure that we could make our own arrangements around this. It was not something that was it, it was just a handicap. Is the way that I looked at it, and that go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely, and then it also eliminates a lot of the freedom that you obviously that, 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 you know, two months earlier or so that, that you probably would have taken for granted because now all of a sudden you have to have all of these fail safe mechanisms in place just in case something happens that had never happened in your life in your first, you know, 30, 31 years of living. Absolutely. Yes. Cause when I drew, um, we flew back to the U S in June and when I flew back, I was unable to drive whatsoever because you have to be one year free of seizures to drive. And I was unable to do that. So that took a whole different liberty away. And, and that was different, flying home for a month and a half and and not being able to drive a, a away or, or take my kids at Freedoms. And because, um, you know, over here, we just walk everywhere. And it, it's different. So living over here on that aspect is much easier to commute uh, opposed to living in the U.S. Yeah, I can believe it. So what about running was something like, why did you have to give up running? 
and you know, why was that part of the option or that you had to take, you know, extraordinary measures if you did go running? Is that something where like you might be more um, susceptible to a seizure if you were exerting yourself? It's the oxygen levels. So my oxygen levels exert myself with the epilepsy. Um, and since it's so fresh, they were unsure how much my body could handle. Um, they were not sure how, and especially because when I was first diagnosed, I was having more epileptic seizures because they were, the medications weren't quite um, evened out. We were still testing the medication, so I was having them more frequent, and we they just were it, they were, it was more precaution, and I definitely needed someone to know my routes more. Um, and I, my body was not quite strong yet after having my second C-section. Um, and they, the doctors over here are definitely more on precaution. I have found opposed to the States period on anything. Um, they, they don't find you to be as strong. I think even when it comes to childbirth or I, I would say on anything, any type of medical on it, I, I just on anything. And, um, so when I, they found out that I liked to race, they were like, Oh, well you, you just automatically can't do that. Like you, there's no way you're, you're done. You can run like you can jog, but if you're going to jog, you need to have your, your app, your, your husband needs to do this. He needs to do that. And I'm like, well, that, that's, that's not going to happen. Like I'm, I'm not willing to give that up. Um, and he, and I just remember him telling me, well, you're just asking for trouble. And I was like, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm determined to get back to this. Um, I'm going to do it safely, but I, I want to do this for myself. And I want to prove to my children that I can do something safely and sufficiently. And so we did. And my husband made sure that I did that. Uh, it was important to me to show them that with determination and uh, with a goal out that we could achieve that. So um, as you started to get running, what was it like in terms of getting back into it just from a mileage perspective? I know that you got started pretty quickly, right? So you were, you know, started running again, you know, four weeks after you gave birth and you had, you know, you know, a, a shorter race a few weeks after that, as you started progressing throughout the year, did you have any hiccups in your training and what did your training look like? Absolutely. Um, it was, it was actually pretty extremely difficult. Um, there were days that were great. And then there were days that were really rocky. Um, there were days I'd come home just weeping to my husband saying I'd completely give up and that I was never going to get distance back. Um, because there were some days that I couldn't even make it half a mile without seeing auroras in my eyes. And, um, I remember it was probably pretty close to the very beginning of getting back to training and I only made it a mile and I had to call him um, from collapsing um, with trying to go into a seizure and him having to come get me. Um, so it, it was, it was a journey getting back to getting those distance back. Um, and even into racing, um, uh, I believe it was like my third race. I completed my, I think it was um, a 5k and or no, it was a 10K, I'm sorry. And at the very, at the end of the 10K, I had uh, a seizure. And, and it was right at the finish line. So uh, there, there was always some hiccups that I've had to learn how to adjust to. 
Now, as is it, and, and pardon my ignorance on this subject, but as you're getting more fit and getting back into running, do the seizures, generally speaking, um, in auroras, do they, do they tend to come later during the runs? Or is it one of those things where you can never predict, no matter how fit you are, exactly when something like that will occur? Uh, it depends. So mine typically happen around light. Um, and also I, mine, I can predict them with headaches. So mine are around headaches and with, um, with, well, with light. So with like strobe lights or um, camera splashing. So I've had early morning runs when um, a cameraman has flashed them and immediately I start to get the auroras and I've had to stop my runs and that's messed up a race. Um, or uh, like I said, a headache can bring one on and I can feel it. So I can stop and can feel one coming on and sit down and, just know that. But even with the fitness, no. So like it, I usually average one a month, but also I had one two weeks ago and I had three in one day. So it, it really depends. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so does that mean that you have to train at certain times of the day to make sure that you're, you know, giving yourself the best chance not to, um, you know, fall into a situation that wouldn't be beneficial? I probably should, but honestly, with the three kids, I don't. Um, I, I have to fit it in when I can fit it in. Uh, my main thing with the seizures is being not exhausted. So, like, that's what brings them on for me, is I have to not be so tired. Which is not exactly an ideal situation <laughs> for someone that's training for a exactly. marathon. So, how do you work that in to marathon training? Trying to try um, not to be exhausted. <laughs> My husband's sitting here chuckling. Um, yeah, it it it, it did it. I, I made it work. Um, my neurologist was constantly on me, so he was he was constantly telling me, you know, you need twelve hours of sleep, and it, it didn't happen, to be honest. And we adjusted medications, and I, I tried to get naps here and there. But I, I mean, I tried listening to my body and I'm stubborn and hard headed. So I wanted this and I'm very driven and I'm very goal oriented. So I knew I wanted to accomplish this and I had to prove it to myself. So day, if days were tiring, I wouldn't train and I had to not go off of the plan sometimes. But, you know, I, you just had to work around it. Yeah, you would certainly have to do that. And then it's almost like that, as you mentioned, as you, as you put it, your hard headed nature, you know, kind of like, it seems like it's a huge positive and a potential negative at the same time. And it's almost for like the exact same reasons, right? It's like, this is how you overcome it, but then it also can cause it at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you work with your coach? To, to, to progress through this because obviously, you know, they're trying to get you excited, you know, trying to get you fit, but then because you have to listen to your body, because you have to have that, not just daily, you know, feedback from your body, but you know, almost like hourly or by the minute, you have to be so well in tuned with it. How did that communication work with your coach? And actually I just didn't mention, who were you working with at the time? Yes. I'm sorry. Um, run for PRs and Victoria. She was absolutely amazing. Um, 
they they worked with me hand in hand. So I was upfront with them from the very beginning and told them about the stroke and the epilepsy and and told them that some days I probably was not going to be able to do this. But they worked with me um, hourly by hourly. And some days it was like, look, this is this isn't going to happen, or we might have to change it for this. Um, fart lakes work great for me. Sprints, however, do not. They exhaust me, and I. I don't do very well with sprints. So that was one thing that would alter a little bit. They, um, that was one area that I would fail at and sometimes that my body would just give out. So we noticed that. Um, but they really worked with training with me and building up that momentum and getting my body where it would work. And it, it worked. I mean, I was able to PR in every race that I tried for this year, which was amazing. I never thought that would happen. Yeah, of all years, that this year that that would be happening is remarkable. So when did you decide to run a marathon? This year. Um, yeah, I, 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 it was one of those things that before having McCain was kind of one of those, oh, you know, I, I'd like to do that in the, the near future, but I never thought it would actually happen. We had a goal to run in Cambodia after having McCain, and we, we did do that. And then it was like maybe – um, maybe in August, I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to try for it. Let, let's do it. Let's, let's earn, let's, let's go for it. And we started training for the marathon and I asked them if they thought I could do it. And the, my coach, and she said, Let, let's go for it. So we, we started training and we trained hard. And you trained hard. And then, you know, I was, I was looking through your Instagram and you have, you have some very heartfelt posts in there. And I want to ask you about, first of all, how many marathons have you run this fall, both officially and unofficially? Two. Two. All right. So let's tell the story of the first one because it seems like it was a very emotional um, situation for you in a, very, in, a, in a good way. And I, I definitely want to get the, uh, the story behind it because I thought I understood it, but I was like, this sounds too good to be true um, on some level. So I, I can't wait to hear more about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we had planned to go to Lombok um, back in November to run my first marathon, um, but Lombok was hit with some devastating earthquakes, and we were still going to go, and we were going to be serving there to hand out um, evacuation and uh, not evacuation, I'm sorry, aid and and just give give out different, different things and show our children what, how good they have it, honestly. And, um, I was going to run my first marathon, but then the night before McCaden got extremely ill. So we canceled the whole trip. And honestly, it just devastated me. Um, cause we, I had been working since August for this marathon. And of course my kids come first, no matter what. Um, so we stayed home and then on Monday morning, um, I decided to run the marathon by myself. So I got up and I ran our park in Singapore and I ran the marathon by myself and I proved to myself that I could do it. And it was hard and it honestly was horrible because I was the only one doing it of 26 miles by myself. But when I came home, um, my whole family was standing in the street with their banners and cheering me on. And that was the most rewarding thing I think I could have ever had um, waiting for me. So. Now, 
And now, when I said too good to be true, obviously I was not refer- referencing the earthquake. I was talking about <laughs> that finish line experience of having your family set up and they have like, you know, the finish line and the pictures are fantastic. And did you know they were going to be there? Oh, no, I didn't know any of that. And running, running a marathon is, a, is a, can be a very emotional experience um, for anybody. What was it like? For you, first of all, how big is the park and like how many laps are you doing? Like, what were the logistics around this, like, you know, this, you know, spontaneous marathon? Uh, it's 16 miles. Um, oh, wow. Yes. Well, I think it's 10, it's 13 miles and then I had to do it twice. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I did it twice. Okay. See, I am envisioning like a city park and you just like lapping after lap after lap no, no, after no. lap. No, it's called the park connector here. So it, it like, it loops around. Okay. And now did, were you timing yourself and did you have any goals or was this, is this completely like, all right, it's just about finishing? Oh no, it was strictly about finishing. It was, um, there was no goal. I, re- I started at one o'clock and I think I finished at, I don't know, six o'clock or something. And, but, and I didn't run it straight through. So I ran, like I would stop and I would go and I would I'd like, every time I stopped, I finished, stopped the Garmin and then I would start again. And I just wanted to finish and prove to myself that I actually could run 26 miles. So yeah, <laughs> it was strictly about running it and proving that I could actually do it. Yeah. And you did it. And then you decided to do another one. So it wasn't about just finishing because here you were, you know, like what, a couple weeks later, a month later, here you are towing the line to Singapore. Yes. Yes. So so what was the decision-making process for choosing Singapore and what was the training or lack of training in that, those, you know, three, four, five weeks span getting ready, considering that you just did, you know, a huge effort, you know, by yourself you know, to do that, that solo marathon, it was your first marathon, right? And this also must've been, you know, a very interesting lead up to do another race. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we had been training for it, but it just was one of those things that it was mind over matter. So I had to prove to myself for the first one that I could just do it first. And then the second one had already been planned for. And then in between that, we had a trip planned to Cambodia to do a half marathon And then immediately afterwards was the Singapore race. So I knew that the Singapore race was going to be better automatically because you were going to be doing it with other racers. So, I mean, you're automatically going to do better because you're with participants. Um, But yeah, the the leading up to that, the training was you're on a downhill slope. So I, I was tapering. It was much easier coming up into that race, but I honestly, I will say that my self-doubt was getting pretty high. I, I started to not believe in myself at all up to the Singapore race. Um, I, at all. I, I really was starting to pull out, to be honest. I thought, you know, there's no way I can do this race. The, this course is, they changed the course this year. And I thought, I, I can't do this. I, I just did this one a few weeks ago. And my time was horrible. I can't do this. There's no way. So I, I, I am proud of that race. Yeah, I can imagine. So let's just go into the mental side of things. Once you started to spiral a little bit with that negativity, 
were you able to to right the ship or did you kind of start that race with that negativity intact um no <laughs> i kind of have to pull out of it a little bit and um my husband's always my backbone in that he he really kind of tells me just to get it together and and you know you can you can do it and go into it and you've trained for this and this is what you do and get it together and so I, I go in and I, I'm, I just kind of tune it all out. And like I said, I'm hard headed. So I just say, all right, this is what, what I've done. And this is what I've trained for. And now let's, if I, if I fail, I fail, but at least I've tried and I won't know if I fail until I try. So let's go. So you kind of needed that, that little tough love as opposed to like that shoulder to cry on. No, I definitely need both, but <laughs> But yeah, I, I do need him to tell me do it. All right. So, <laughs> so so you're going into that race. You know, you're you have we just talked about the, the the mental side. The emotions are running high. You didn't have a goal besides finishing for that first one, which was is a huge accomplishment. Did you have that same goal going into this race, or did you actually have a time goal set up that you were shooting for? I did have a time goal for the second race. Um, I. I ideally wanted to go towards four hours. Um, but I told Victoria at the same time, I want to just finish it. So she set me out for three different A, B, and C, and let's just see how we go. And cause I told her, you know, I'm not feeling that, that strong and I don't know my legs have been feeling super heavy. So we went with different times and we just thought how we, let's see how we go. And as soon as I started, it just clicked and, um, once we went, um, I immediately started with an 827 pace and I still honestly didn't trust my Garmin. And I remember texting my husband, at, I don't know, it was pretty soon in and I told him, or I think it was right at t- 10K. And I said, you know what? I just hit a new PR with uh, 10K. And he was like, you better slow down. And I said, you know, I'm not even watching my watch. I'm just going with how it feels. And then at 17 miles I think I was at like a 233 and it just felt great and then I hit that 20 mile mark and it just felt awful (laughs) and it took forever to finish after that and um yeah it was rough after that (laughs) but we finished but you finished right I mean you you can do hard things Right. I mean, you'd kind of, you've proven it time after time over the course of the year. And then what you finished at three fifty five. running time. Yes. Running time. <laughs> yes. Which is fantastic. I mean, that's, that is, you know, what was it, just under nine minute mile pace. Yes. So you got, so you got your a goal a month yes. or so after running a marathon, the, the absolute craziest year of your life. When you sit back and it hasn't been very long since the race, obviously. But when you sit back and think about what this year has been for you, what are some of your initial thoughts? And let me just preface that also by saying that you do this daily countdown, you know, where you have like, you're kind of like, as you chronicle the year, you know, so obviously you're, you're thinking about this holistically throughout the course of the year. So now that the year's almost finished, what are your thoughts about it in totality? I'm just blessed. I mean, I, I look back and I think, you know, we've been given this third baby and I was told I would never run to race or I would never be able to race again. And 
you know, here I've been able to prove that wrong and we've been able to knock out these races. I've been able to run with my husband again and it's improved our marriage by a ton, to be honest. And we've been able to share this hobby together and it, it, I, I'm just blessed, you know, it's, it's been given a, a piece of a life back to me that I thought was taken away. Now, have you always been able to look at the positive side of things? Because, you know, you look at the, the, the word that you came up with there was blessed. And that strikes me because it would be it seems like it would be equally easy, if not more easy, to dwell on the negative of what has happened this year. And obviously, you know, you, you gave birth to a child who's, who's, who's healthy and, th- and that's obviously a huge positive. But considering that, you know, everything that's going on with your epilepsy, the constant struggle behind that. There are obviously negative points in each one of your days associated with this. Are you naturally someone who defers to like your faith and being blessed, or is that something that you have to work on day, you know, day to day? Oh, I absolutely have to work on that. Absolutely. Um, I think I would definitely look at the negative, but um, I, if I sit back and I definitely can see how much God's been giving me grace to this year. I mean, he has spared me so much of what could have been taken from me. So I have been deeply blessed by this year. That's great. Well, Lindsay, I can't think of a better place to stop. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We had a little little uh, technical issue there. So we picked it up in the, you know, a couple of days after the first half of this interview that we recorded. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for being such an inspiration. It, it really is something that it's, there's a lot to take from this story and I couldn't be more appreciative for you of coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Lindsay, again for coming on the show. This was amazing. It was, uh, first of all, a logistics nightmare <laughs> getting getting this call done. Uh, Lindsay's in Singapore. I'm in Rhode Island. Uh, it, just making this happen um, was a was was a challenge, but I'm so glad we did. Uh, Lindsay's story it speaks for itself. I'm just so so happy that she was to come on here and tell it because it's one of those stories where it kind of puts me in my place and allows me to say, hey, why am I complaining when other people are doing things like this? So thank you for her for coming on. Thank you, Mercury Mile, sponsoring the show for all of 2019, our presenting sponsor, Mercury Mile. If you have gotten anything out of my podcast, please visit Mercury Mile and use the code RamblingRunner10 at checkout to save $10. Also, it lets them know that, hey, their sponsorship's working. Because, hey, I think it has. It's why they've decided to stick with us for all of 2019. We've helped them grow. And I think that not only is that a positive, but a far bigger positive if you're using their uh, their service and getting the gear that you need. Also, thank you, Run for PRs, for sponsoring this episode and for working with so many fantastic athletes like Lindsey Richards. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening, and happy running.